Well, please come to that uh, men's breakfast and, you know, don't worry about the video. No one's going to get in your face. It's going to be a great time. Make sure you guys come. Hey, listen, I want to I talk to you about one thing. By the way, if you're visiting with us, my name is Sean F.K. I'm the lead pastor here. Um, we have uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting that we're calling in August. So it starts next Saturday. Um, and uh, next Sunday, we're going to have some more materials for you. But um, I want you to ask the Lord, what should I fast? And this is for, for your personal a breakthrough for our church breakthrough and everything. And so I want to encourage you to just be, you know, like, like um, um, that was said during worship. Like Bethany said, you know, making sure that Jesus is your center. And so this is a great time to really kind of reevaluate your life, reevaluate things that you're doing and asking the Lord, God, am I on track? And just getting his heart, getting his voice and, and hearing that and starting to walk in it and just really seek first the kingdom of God. And so I want to challenge you, number one, to begin to think about how you're going to do this. Are you going to pray every day? You're going to have set hour. I encourage you to do that. But what are you going to fast? Are you going to fast time? And a lot of times I like for people to fast time. That means stop watching a certain TV program in order for you to pray that hour. You know, and, and just really engage with the Holy Spirit in your life. You know, a lot of times living this life, how many of you guys know some things are just taken away from you? And you forget some things and you get out of practice. And this is just a time to get back in, get right into the Word, right into prayer and, uh, and hearing the voice of God again. So don't take this lightly. You know, do it. Fast something. If it's food or if it's time or if it's both, you know, do that. Ask the Lord this week, what, how do you want me to do this? Let him give you a plan and, and, and implement that plan for the next 21 days starting August 1st. Okay, how many guys will be in it with me? I, we hear breakthroughs happen all the time during this time. Listen, when you seek the Lord, he will be what? Found. And, uh, and a lot of times, man, we just don't seek him enough. We seek other things. We seek other wisdom. But we don't seek the one who gives us everything. And so I encourage you to do that. Take this time and pray. Amen? And seek the Lord. Amen. God's good, isn't he? Amen. We'll um, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, we're in a study and overview of 1 Corinthians. And we've been on it for a number of weeks now. And we're just now getting to chapter 4. And uh, you can, in your bulletin, there are some notes you can follow along with us. Um, the first four chapters, and we've been on this, um, is all about unity. In fact, Paul deals with unity before he touches anything else in the book of Corinthians. Before he talks about the sexual issues that are happening. Before he talks about um, them getting drunk during communion and everything else that's going on. He talks first about unity. Because unity is very important in the body. In fact, he comes at it very harsh uh, with the Corinthian church. And so we talked about that a number of things. And last week or a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how unity in a church is around the gospel. It's around Jesus Christ himself and what he did and what he accomplished. That's what brings us unity. In fact, in here, we may have different views on certain other doctrine, doctrinal issues that may be, be something that's important but not essential. But we can all be unified around the essential doctrine of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he brought to us um, and how he can change our lives. But Paul here comes to a a, a very important part in chapter 4. It comes down to it where the Apostle Paul believed that there was really one main issue that he took the whole chapter basically to talk about, which was causing disunity in the Corinthian church. 
Remember that the, the Corinthian church, a lot of the people were saying, I follow Paul, or I follow Cephas, who was Peter, or I follow Apollos. And then you had the real religious ones who, who said, I follow Jesus. Really, they were following themselves and not Jesus. And, uh, but they said they were. And so these people were following these leadership. And so here Paul talks about in chapter 4 how we should view church leaders. And so we're going to discuss in chapter 4, because this is what Paul talks about, how the proper way to view church leadership for the sake of unity. Because our attitude towards church leadership has the power to bind us or to break us. And so Paul's going after leadership in chapter 4, and he confronts really the main reason in a lot of the disunity problems in the church. Church leaders are either the strongest means of unity development or the strongest cause of disunity in the church. And we need to view it correctly. Our unity is around the gospel of Jesus Christ, like we said a few weeks ago. But when it comes to the day-to-day life of a church and church unity, it will rise and fall on how we view unity. You know, most church splits. That's when when a church is together and people and a bunch of people go this other place and starts another church, and it's not sanctioned by the whole body. Why that is caused is not usually because of uh, because of doctrinal issues. It's because of personalities. They want to follow this personality or this personality. And listen, I'm going to tell you right now, please do not follow a personality. Do not follow me. You follow Jesus Christ himself. But does God bring in leadership for us to model after? Yes, because Paul says, follow me as I what? Follow the Lord. And so there's a right way to view leadership. If you weren't here a couple weeks ago, please get the the tape on that. Um, Go on to our online and get that and download it. But here's an outline of 1 Corinthians, because Paul's going to deal with leadership here. He's going to put people in their place, basically. And he describes it. And if you outline 1 Corinthians chapter 4, there's, there's three main points that, that uh, Paul gives us here. In, the, in, in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6, he outlines it as this. He establishes a standard. What is a church leader? What's, what is an identity of a church leader? And then in verse 7 through 13, he addresses the problem, the, what he believes is the main problem in the Corinthian church here, the root issue in all of this. And then from 14 through 21, he provides us a solution. So let's go through chapter 4 here, and let's talk about that. And in verse 1, he says here, he says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Now, here's their identity here. Here he establishes the leader's identity, what a leader is. And he first starts out and he says, let's, us, let, let's a man so consider us. Who is us? Who is he talking about? Well, is he talking about the apostles or is he talking about some other people? Because he does bring in Apollos later on in chapter, in chapter 4 into this. And Apollo wasn't, Apollos wasn't a, um, a, an apostle but he was a church leader. Well, I believe he's talking about, he's talking about the people who are involved in the Corinthian church in some way. So he's talking about Paul. He's talking about Apollos. He's talking about the many other church leaders. Remember, they are house churches in this thing, in this area, because, you know, having a church of their own, a big, large church, they couldn't have. And so they had many churches in there. So they're probably talking about leadership in that way. But he's probably mainly talking about Apollo, Cephas, and Paul himself, and that, that way. And so he says, so let us consider us 
there. And then he says, servants of Christ. I know this isn't something that's so significant because all of us are supposed to be servants of Christ. We're supposed to serve the Lord. uh, But he not only says he's servants of Christ, but he also says that they've been entrusted with a task. We are stewards of the mystery of God. And so we're stewards of the mystery of God. So he's talking about Apollos. He's talking about Paul. He's really talking about the pastoral leadership of this church. And so they're entrusted with a task. And so he uses the word steward. And that gives us kind of a, a picture of what he means here. He was, he's, the picture that he's kind of want to portray here is a bunch of, as a household. And the master of the house, the owner of a house has stewards, has servants. And he's placed someone who is faithful in charge of the whole household to see that the household is fed, to see that the chores are done, the work is done in that household, and to make sure that household runs correctly, make sure the jobs are done that needed to be done. Was he more valuable than any of the other servants? No. Did he own his own home? No. But everyone knew that this person was in charge, that he was found faithful, and he needed authority to lead the household. And so this is what he's talking about, that the these people, not only servants, but they're stewards. They are people that are being placed in charge to make sure that this household runs correctly. And this is what their goal was. Their goal was to bring about the gospel of Christ. And in verse 2, look at this. It says, Moreover, it is required in a steward that he is found faithful. So the stewards, the leaders here are stewards and mysteries of the mysteries of God. And what are the mysteries of God? This is the gospel of Christ. This is the gospel of God. They're to make sure that the gospel is proclaimed and that it's proclaimed regularly, but is also supposed to be proclaimed accurately. And this is their task. But they have been trusted it. And their goal is this, simply faithfulness. The goal is not to build a large church or to build a small one. Their goal is to be faithful to make sure that the gospel is spread that is, it is done regularly, as done accurately. That is the goal of church leaders, is to make sure that done. So faithfulness is their goal. That means they're full of faith. They're trusting in the Lord, and they're speaking out the word of God by faith. And they're making sure that's done in every part of the household. And then he goes on in verse 3, and he says here, he says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human effort. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know nothing against myself, yet I am not just justified by this, but he who judges me in the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the, of the heart. Then each one's praise will, co- will come from God. So here Paul is talking about, he says, you know, their goal is faithfulness, but here, who's going to evaluate if they're faithful or not? And so Paul is saying to the Corinthians, I don't care about your evaluation of me. I don't care about what I think about myself. At the end of the day, it is God who will judge me. So he says, just wait. God will judge the hidden things of, of their heart. He will reveal the conditions, the counsels of their heart. So he says, wait, and God will judge that. And he's going to judge the leaders with a standard that you and I cannot do. 
See, the problem was the standard that people were judging whether it's a good leader or a bad leader was they were using fleshly ways of judging that. Well, does he communicate well? Remember, this was a place that they would go and hear people talk. That was their entertainment. They were here, the philosophies of this area. And so that's how they were judging church leaders. Well, I like this person because he talks better. Or I like the way that this person dresses. And that's how they're judging whether this was a good leader or a bad leader. And he says, stop it. Don't, that's premature. That's premature. That's not, that's not the way to judge people because God is going to come and judge in the way that he judges because of the heart, what's in the heart. The standards of faithfulness, God can only judge because God judges by the heart. Have you ever said something, said something in a group one time and somebody took it the wrong way and that wasn't your heart? But they judged the outward appearance of what you said. And it wasn't your heart and how you wanted to be portrayed. It Maybe you did mess up and didn't portray it the right way. But they couldn't judge your heart. It is so hard for you and I to judge the heart. Only God can really do that. And the Corinthian church were judging and following leaders by what was on the outside. Because they liked them because of what's on the outside. But God judges because of the heart. You guys remember David? I mean, hopefully none of you are here that actually remembered him personally but um you remember david in the in in the old testament king david that his own father didn't realize that he was king material that when when the prophet said bring your sons he left david out in the field and none of his sons fit even though they looked the part they may even talk the part but he took David instead because he judged the heart. And so that's what it is. And so he said, in God alone. Now look at verse 6. He says, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. And that's what was happening in the church here. I'm for Apollos, or I'm for Paul, and we're better than you. And Paul says the Corinthians were going beyond what is written by making their own standard of what a good and bad leader were. They were being filled with pride and being puffed up because they knew better than anybody else. I follow this person, and you should too, because they're a lot better than the one you follow. And it was causing disunity, and it was because they were making up their own standard on what that was. And they had to... they had to decide what a good leader was, and that was causing fractions within the church and, and, and basically tearing the church apart in Corinth. If Paul didn't write this letter, there would be no church anymore there. But Paul says here, here's the standard, that they're servant, that they're a servant and stewards. And here's their goal, faithfulness. Their goal is not to build a large church. Their goal is not to, to, to make everyone happy. Get everyone to like them. Their goal is to be faithful. What are they being faithful? With the stewards, being the steward of the mysteries of God. Making sure that the gospel is being preached, is done regularly, and is done accurately. That's the goal of church leaders. And their evaluator is God. And he says, don't go beyond this. Don't go beyond this. So next, Paul will address the problem here in verse 7. So Paul 
asks really three rhetorical questions, and this begins on a ramp. Paul gets very sarcastical. He gets very sarcastic about who they are. And so it's a very funny part if you read it because the, it wasn't written to me, so it's very funny. But um, so he uses sarcasm in a biting and cutting way here because they were viewing leadership in the wrong way and it was filling them with pride and causing disunity. So here's what he's going to do. He's going to address the problem. Look at verse 7. He says, For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received? You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we might also reign with you. This is sarcasm, okay? For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last As men condemned to die, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for the sake of Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands, being revealed. We bless, we persecute, we endure, being defamed, and we entreat. And we have been made as filth of the world, the offscoring of all things until not now. So Paul is going after what he doesn't want. He doesn't want disunity in church. So Paul's saying, you guys have already arrived. You're already perfect. So disregard anything I've ever said. Why don't you guys just write the rest of the New Testament? So Paul's using sarcasm to cut at their oversized egos because they've been following people that they think are their leaders. In the verse 9, he talks about verse 8 and 9. The image that Paul is speaking here in verse 9 is talking about a war possession, 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 where they, they start marching. When they would win, Romans would win a war, they would march through the town. The, the army would march, and at the, end of the, at the end would be these people who were defeated. And Paul's saying, this is where you guys have put us. And it's putting us to shame. Paul goes on, he says that the apostles are at the bottom, but you Corinthians are so great and have so much spiritual wisdom. And he's cutting them down to size. And here's the problem. It was their pride. It was their pride that was getting in the way. He's cutting them down to size because of their own standards of leadership. And they were full of pride and they think they're falling after leaders. And these are, my, these are the disciples, but they, they couldn't live further from the truth because they didn't live like those men. They didn't live like those men. Paul was disgusted. And so he established a standard, and he goes after the problem of pride, and then he provides a solution. And here's Paul's solution in verse 14. He says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children. I just love that part. These guys are messed up. How many of you guys have kids, and have they ever messed up before? Okay, that's the thing. They're still your sons and daughters. And he doesn't get rid of them. He did, he, even though he may be ashamed. Even though he may be hurt. Even though they don't look at him as their father. He says, you're still my children. And here he says, I warn you. 
For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. I'm your dad. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everyone in every church. Did you know Paul mentions about 91 people he discipled that he led? In verse 18, it says, Now some are puffed up, as though I was not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills. And I will know, not of the word of those who are puffed up, but of their power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come with you with a rod and beat the out of you, you know? Or in love and a spirit of gentleness. So in these verses, he's not trying to shame them. He wants to give them a solution. Here's the solution. He says, I'm your father. Imitate me. That's his solution. Now, it's kind of, kind of weird a little bit, isn't it? I mean, so, what if someone came up to you and says, you're puffed up with pride. You're full of pride. You know what you need to do? Look at me and, follow, and, and be like me. That's what he's saying. But Paul knew his life. He had fruit. He was not only anointed by men, he was anointed by God. He was anointed by Jesus Christ himself. He says, imitate me. He's very confident in the way he lived. And he was their dad. And he knew as a father what needed to be done. And so he says, for this reason, I've sent Timothy to you, who's my beloved and faithful son, who will remind you, of my ways in Christ, as I teach everyone everywhere. So in other words, Timothy's my spiritual son. He's going to remind you how to live like Christ, like I do. And so Paul believes that imitating is the solution, and it's true for us as well. Because basically what was happening to this group is that it's like today. They were watching people on TV. They were listening to words of people on the radio or on the internet. And they were trying to be discipled by somebody far off. And you cannot be discipled by someone far off. They had 10,000 instructors, but they had no fathers. What's important is being a father. What's important is allowing, is being a son for me. It's putting myself under somebody else who will disciple me. Not just teach me the word, but show me how it operates in my life. Put, it, put the word and put feet on it. So when we humble ourselves and place ourselves under discipling, under fathering, when we choose to be the student and let someone else be the teacher, then we imitate their behavior. Then there is no more room for pride because I lay my life down and I submit it. This is why we say 90% of all the ministry that goes on here doesn't go on on Sunday mornings. It goes all throughout the week. It's in relationships where you can be discipled, where you can learn. It's not just about teaching. It's about fathering. It's about imitating. It's not just about hearing somebody on the radio. I've, I've known people who that's all they did. And they could no more live further from where that person lived. Because you can't really get someone's heart just by listening to them. 
You can only get someone's heart by shaking their hand and hugging their neck and letting them speak into your life personally and says, no, no, that's not what I meant. Amen? Now, don't stop listening. I'm not saying stop listening to people. I listen to people. But I'm not discipled by them. I learn. But I need someone to say, hey, no, Sean, that's not what the word means. And this is what these people were doing. And they were living further away. And we'll get into a lot more of it. It gets worse, by the way. Um, we, it, it, they live for a lot further away than Paul was living. So he says, imitate me. Imitate me. Let me lead you. And then he continues in verse 18. He says, you're puffed up as though I were not coming to you. But I'm going to come to you shortly. Basically, he's saying, you have time to get everything right. I can either come with a rod or I can come with love and gentleness. The firm reminder. The firm reminder because the kingdom of God is not in word, but it's in power. What do you want? What do you want? So what is the world in the world does this have to do with you and I? Because I personally believe everyone is a leader in some way. You not might not be on staff, or you not be might not be an elder. But you're a leader in some way. So for leaders, this is for pastoral, this is for every single one of us who are in charge of people in some way. Definitely for for me, definitely for our elders, but even for more, for you. Some of you are leaders in our church. You're a small group leader. Very important that you understand that, that spiritual leader, being a spiritual leader in spiritual leadership is servant leadership. As a part of an identity is being a servant. And Jesus modeled this better than anybody. He never abused his power. He never controlled people. He loved and served them. And that's one of the most important things in leadership. But also to be a leader is that you are entrusted with something. The mysteries of God. You're entrusted with the gospel to lead people to Jesus Christ. You're entrusted with that. To lead them into the life that he came to give. That abundant life of Christ. That's what you and I are trusted to. But it also demands faithfulness. Faithfulness to the task and to his word and his life. I, am, I must be faithful. Above all, anything else. I'm not here to make people happy. I'm not here to, to tell you what you want to hear. I'm here to be faithful to the gospel. That's what I'm here. Whether it's one or whether it's a million, that's what faithfulness, faithfulness is. And that's what God is going to judge me on, is faithfulness. Am I faithful? And it's setting the example. I have to set the example in my life. So if someone who be, would begun, begin to imitate me, I have to ask myself the question, will, would my life bring them closer to Jesus? That's what it means to be, have, a, be, have spiritual leadership. Does my life, if they would imitate me, would that bring them closer to the Lord? So does your life bring them closer to the Lord? Because it's setting an example. And I have to say, because, you know, Paul's not here. I have to say to people who follow me, imitate me. 
you're a cell leader, you have to say that. Imitate me. You know, that's one, one reason I don't drink. I don't, I don't drink wine. I don't drink beer. I drink Coke. That's about it. I don't drink. Now, is it wrong to drink? No, it's not wrong. But I just don't do it. Because why? I want people to follow me. And I want to hold a high standard in my life. Do I, am I mad that people drink? No, people can drink in front of me. It's kind of funny when I go in restaurants and people are having a beer or a glass of wine. They try to hide it. <laughs> and they spill it all over the place. <laughs> I love that. If that's you, don't, don't do that. That's an expensive glass of wine. Please don't do that. I have no problem as long as you don't get drunk, as long as you don't party. That's the problem I have in the Word with it. It's not beneficial, but if you do it, it's up to you and the Lord. But to me, I just don't do that. I choose not to. That's my thing because I, want, I, I definitely have to hold a higher standard because it demands faithfulness in this. I need to set the example. Amen? I believe God's called us all in some way to be a leader. Where it's a leader in your family, where it's a leader in your job, the leader in your neighborhood, to your kids, or to others. I don't know. I can't put that on anybody. That's between you and God. But I believe this relates to every single one of us. That to be a servant, we're all called to that. And if we're going to minister in any way, to be faithful in the mysteries of God, to study His Word, and to make sure that I speak it out regularly, all the time, and accurately. And that I'm faithful with that. And that people can imitate my life. Amen? But I'm going to be honest with you. The model that Jesus left us with was a model not of just one person. He gave it to all. That's you and I. I cannot personally pastor this church. We can't hire enough staff to really pastor this church. Jesus had 12 that he really pastored, and he lost one. So it goes down to smaller groups. That's why you must be in smaller groups. So important to really see this come about to see what Paul was trying to get the Corinthian church to do, to imitate, to bring unity. And that's what is hard. So we only evaluate on God's standard what is a good leader. We leave the ultimate evaluation to God. Church leaders aren't dictators, but they're called to lead. And here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It says, Obey those who rule over you. And be submissive, for they watch for your souls as those who must give account. And look at this. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Not unprofitable for the leader, but unprofitable for you. So important how we view leadership and how we understand it. That leader is a servant who's a steward of the mysteries of God, who is faithful and who's an example.
And that is so important. Amen? And I believe a lot of you, you know, sometimes we don't really realize what God has done in us. And I believe God's called you to be that. Could you imagine that? That every single one of us in, in our church, not just our here today, that everyone that calls Cornerstone Church their home decides, I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to lead on God's standard. I'm going to be a servant and I'm going to be a steward of what he's given me. I'm going to be faithful with that. In my life, people could imitate me because I follow Jesus. Amen? And my life has it. I want to challenge you, especially in this 21 days of prayer and fasting that we have coming up. Evaluate that. And become that in some way. Whatever that, wherever God leads you, if it's just, no, I'm gonna be, I am, I'm going to be the leader in my home. Maybe you definitely need to start there. I'm going to be the wife that God's called me. I'm going to be the husband that God's called me to be. I want to challenge you. Then to, after that, maybe break out of that and ask the Lord, where do you want me to step in and lead somebody and help? Maybe it's people in your work. Maybe it's people in your neighborhood. Maybe it's just friends. And start doing that and becoming that. Amen? And don't follow personalities. Follow Jesus. Amen? How can I lead, Lord? How can I become a father to people and have a father? If you're not in a small group, get in a small group. Find someone who will help disciple you, not control you, but help allow the word come into you and see it have legs in your life. Amen? God's good, isn't he? Get something out of this? Amen? You guys like this Corinthians series? Amen? God is good. I just want to warn you, we'll be dealing with some hard things coming up. I'll step on some of your toes. Isn't that good, though? Amen? It's going to be good. It's going to be life-giving. But I want you to be praying. I want you to start, make sure you're reading 1 Corinthians and just studying it and, uh, and just seeing where God leads us in this. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I thought we're going to be done by summer. We're not going to be done until September. And, um, and I just really feel like there's some valuable things at the end that we need to have in our church. And uh, so uh, just get ready for that. And get ready for this. And take this home and study it for yourself. Okay? If you're in a small group, some of you will already be studying it. But, you know, talk it out with your, your family. Find a friend, you know, and talk it out about it. And just ask the Lord, what, what can I re- you reveal to me more? Amen? Amen? Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And I thank you, God, that there's a right way of doing church. There's a right way of being church. Father, I just thank you. Your word shows it and it clearly gives us the map on how to do that. And Father, I just pray right now you just begin to deal with us on how maybe we viewed leadership in the past, that we went by personality and went on the outside, and how we evaluated good pastors or bad pastors or whatever. Forgive us, Lord. And Father, I pray that, Father God, you give us the right heart towards leadership. And Father God, even that us in some way will become a leader in some way. Whatever your heart is for everyone, every person here, 
Father, you'll reveal that to them and they'll step up in that and they'll be faithful. They'll become a servant and a steward of your word. Be faithful with that and that their life will be a life that people can follow. And because they're around, people draw closer to the Lord, to you, Lord. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. We just bless you, Lord. Just lift up your hands to the Lord right now. Just, Just thank him for his word. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is good to us, Lord. Father, I pray understanding comes even more and more. That we don't take it lightly anymore. That we take it as truth and we run with it. But it brings life to us. And I thank you, Father, for that. In Jesus' name. I bless everyone here, God, with that. In the name of Jesus, that life change happens. In Jesus' name. You can put your hands down just for a moment. I'm going to talk to people here that says, Pastor Sean, I've never given my life to Christ. I want to give you that opportunity. You know you're missing something in your life. And I'm telling you this, Jesus, because you were made by God. He's your dad. And he placed something inside of you that only he can feel. And that's just by his Holy Spirit. You've been searching everywhere to find hope. You've been searching everywhere to find significance. Let me tell you, it's only found in Jesus. Your purpose, the reason you're here, is found in him. Real love, real hope, real joy is found in Jesus. And I want to give you an opportunity right now to accept that, to receive that into your life. Jesus says, no man can come to the Father except by me. You know, Jesus came, he died on the cross for you and I. He took our sin. That's all our wrongdoing. Everything we did against the Lord, knowingly or unknowingly, he took it upon himself. Because sin separated us from God and he brought us together to him again. But he asks that you bow down to that and give your life away. Basically what he does, he takes your old life and he gives you a new one. It's like the best do-over you could ever have. So if that's you right now, and everyone just bow your heads, close your eyes again. If that's you, and you believe that you need to do that, you need to make decisions. You may not understand everything, but I want to give you that opportunity to say yes to the Lord. Say yes, Jesus. I don't know everything that you have, but I want it all. Because I'm tired of this life. I'm tired of the way I've been living. I want hope. I want joy. I want purpose again. And if that's you, I want to pray with you right where you're at. If you could raise your hand real high. And you can put it down once you raise it. Anybody in here says, Pastor Sean, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Anybody in here? One more time. Anybody? Says, Pastor Sean, that's me. I want to give my life to the Lord. Okay. See the hand. Anybody else? Says, Pastor Sean, that's me. Thank you, Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to let this go. One more time. Anybody else? Says, Pastor Sean, that's me. I want to give my life to the Lord. I want to live my life differently, but I need help. I want Jesus in my life. Okay. Let's all pray. Listen, those who, that person who raised their hand, listen. When you do this, when you pray this prayer, I want everyone to repeat after me. When you pray this prayer, believe with all your heart. Jesus says, when you confess him as Lord and Savior, you will be saved. And that's what's going to happen. He's going to come into your life right now, and he's going to forgive you of all your sins. 
And he's going to bring a new life. And it's going to be a start, a very beginning. You're not going to look any different. You may not even feel any different. But it's the beginning of a journey that you can be on. And we want to help you with that. You're not alone in this. But it's the greatest decision of your life. Everyone repeat after me. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, Father God, I bow down to you right now. And I give you everything. I give you all my life. And I thank you, God, for sending Jesus to pay the penalty for all my sin. For taking all my sin on the cross and dying for me. And I thank you for that. And so from this day forward, I will follow you. I thank you for forgiving me. I thank you for loving me. And I make you the Lord of my life. You are now my boss. And I confess Jesus as my everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give the Lord praise right now. Is he good?